You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey everyone, this is Greg. Before we get started with this week's episode, we've got a few folks from our team that are going to hop on and share a quick message for Rob. It's his birthday this week. Happy birthday, Rob. Happy birthday to the leading 340B podcast co-host. Very exciting to see your podcast vision come to creation this last year. Happy birthday, Rob. Hey, brother. How ole la hanao. Hope you have a great day. Hey, Hoopy. Happy birthday from your coworker Tom, or as they say back on the islands, Haoli Lahanau. Anyway, I hope the pronunciation was at least a little bit close, but you know what I mean. Anyway, it's been great working with you for the past couple of years. Uh, you are a fantastic coworker, but more than that, you're just a great person. So it's always nice to work with you, get into the middle of projects with you, and just watch you do your thing. Happy birthday, my friend, and I hope you have a fantastic day. You've certainly earned it. Hey, Hopi, this is Matt Parker. Just wanted to wish you a very happy birthday and congratulate you on all the success with 340B Unscripted and all the great things going on at Spinman Pharmacy. I look forward to uh, working with you for years to come. Thanks. Hey, Rob, it's Greg. I'm actually recording this one on behalf of Chelsea Reeve. She used up all of her voice talking to clients during the coalition conference. So this is to you from Chelsea. Happy birthday to the person that changed my life in so many amazing ways. I truly could fill a podcast of all the things I love and appreciate about you. I'll keep it simple, though. You're my favorite boss, my mentor, a big brother, a listening ear, a wealth of knowledge, and most importantly, a true friend. Thank you for believing in me and bringing me on this adventure with you over all these years. I've learned so much from you, and I know you always have my back. I can't imagine where my life would be if you weren't in it. I hope your birthday was the best. I love you, my friend. This is Aiden. Uh, I just want to say happy birthday, and I hope you had a really great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. This is Greg Wilson. I'm here with my co-host, Rob Nahoopi. Hey, Rob, how are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, we just got back from Coalition last night, so I think we're all in recovery mode uh, from travel and, and uh, you know, just, just starting early in the morning and going to late at night. But doing well and excited to kind of cover what we learned and, and what's going on in the world of 340B. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, here in the air conditioning. It's hot, man, super hot in dc in the summer walking around the national harbor area weather was great but man the heat really has an impact on me i think <laughs> i'm oh, not built for it, that kind of heat that's a that's a humid heat yeah definitely and uh going back and forth from the hotel yeah it's uh it was it was good but honestly i would say it was probably a little cooler than it has been in some other conference here some just it felt like it was like 100 degrees in humid and i could see the humidity in the air it felt like and maybe it's because we're at the national harbor has the uh, Potomac and you got water and the wind yeah, blowing off the water off. does cool things yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. I should, I shouldn't complain. You know, I work with some folks down in Florida and they're, they're like, I was complaining about the heat and they said, no, this is nothing. So. Yeah. Uh, Jody, I just, I, I'll mention some people, I think she doesn't mind. I won't say her last name, but everyone knows who Jody is down in Florida. And she, she says, this is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's something to us. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a reprieve from the heat for them. So. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, we've got a hundred plus and humid. Uh, so, yeah, but but good. And just want to thank everyone who stopped by our event. We had a fun event Tuesday night. 
Um, lots of people stopped by and just hung out with us and, and just, just had some fun. And, you know, Tuesday night's kind of towards the end of the conference, which makes it a little easier. And just appreciate people coming by. And, um, you know, even had some people that, uh, that are considering us stop by and say hi and just get to know us better. And just want to thank everyone for that because, uh, you know, there's a lot of competing interest there at the conference and uh, people willing to come hang out with us. Uh, we always, we always um, are very grateful. Yeah, had a good, good week. It's nice catching up with teammates too. So I don't know if you know other other organizations out there that maybe spread out over a, a wide geographic distribution or geographic area. It's it's always nice to to connect in person with some folks that you work remotely with. So yeah, yeah, it's I met a few people. Can I share a quick story? Because I thought yeah. this was really fun. Yeah, this is a good <laughs> so, story. And, and and I did ask him if I could say his, I won't say his last. I, I won't give everyone's last names out and put them out there like that. But um, so people know from the last podcast that we had you know free shirt. Um, uh, 340 and scripted. I actually really like the shirt, so I, I know Aiden's listening. Uh, I won't force her to come on, but just because Aiden, if those of you were there, Aiden came on person for Tuesday at our event, even hung out with us Tuesday. So everyone got to meet Aiden in person um, after the charity walk on Wednesday morning. So I got up at 645, and for those that don't know, Greg was presenting at 645. Uh, myself and Simone decided to go for do the charity walk. So uh, Simone's one of our auditors, and, and so we did the charity walk. Well, I got done, and I'm like, and I'm already in my workout gear. I'm going to go work out. Just I'm going to do like a quick 20-minute workout. Just still had the energy to do it. And so I go down to the gym at the, the hotel I'm staying at. And and I'm starting to work out. And I notice, actually, I have to go use a pull-up bar. So I'm like, oh, excuse me, can I use this pull-up bar? It's kind of right in front of where he was working out. And I look, and he's wearing our 340B unscripted shirt. And so my mind just starts going, wait, what? And so I'm doing my pull-ups thinking all the time, wait, okay, so maybe he's the spouse of somebody? Or is he, or is he 340B? But I don't want to mess up his is workout, right? You know, you're in the middle of workout, you get your earbuds in, you're like focused. And so I finished my workout and, and he clearly works out more than I do. He's, he's he, you know, he's got more muscles than I do. So, but you know, I'm old. Um, and so I get, he was there when I got there and, and he's still going when I leave. But on the way out, I'm like, hey, don't mean to bug you in maybe your exercise. And I never do this, right? I never talk to anyone in the gym. I'm like hyper-focused. And I'm like, um, so, the sh you know, the shirt you're wearing, or I, I said, oh, do you listen to a podcast? And at first, I think he told me afterwards, he thought I was someone with a podcast in his ear because he was listening to a podcast in his ear. And he finally realized it was a shirt. He's like, oh, he has a 340 podcast. And he's like, oh, do you listen to it? I was like, I think it's real awkward. I'm like, well, I'm actually one of the guys on it. <laughs> so he's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, he says, I, I, you know, he said, I actually don't know what you guys look like because, you know, podcast is verbal. So Aiden, to your point, maybe we do a couple more talking head things and throw Greg and I off um, and people might know what we look like. And I know we put our pictures on that poster thing if you actually look at it. But so funny part is, so he listens to it. He happens to be a client. Uh, his name's Jared, um, works at Full Circle. And so we talked for a little bit, R super fun. So glad I, I got to talk to him. And uh, so we had a laugh about it and we talked. And, and, and by the way, he only had a medium. And so he's kind of a bigger guy. He, that, thing, that thing was tight. We may need to send him a large, just for the record. Um, <laughs> And uh, that's all that was left, right? We, so we got rid of all the shirts. But I thank you, everyone who stopped by and knew the password. Really appreciate it. That was yeah. fun. But the you story doesn't it, yeah. end there. So I make this connection. Yeah, there's more. Yeah, right. That was, I mean, that's a great story in and of itself. But wait, there's more. There's more. So then I finally, you know, like for me, going back to Salt Lake City, there's a 5 p.m. flight. Um, and then there's two 7.30 a.m. directs and a 5.10 p.m. So I'm like, okay, I got to do the 5.10 p.m. So hanging out at the airport, get on my flight. Um, just so you guys know, I am a bougie traveler. I travel too much. And so, you know, I get that diamond status or whatever. I'll probably lose it in your future. It just got harder to get. But but I didn't upgrade. So I always joke around and everyone, everyone just, I shouldn't say it out loud. But so so I'm in the back, right? So I'm in the back of the plane. <laughs> In, in, in non non um, first class seating, just for the record. Um, and so uh, I'm playing, so I'm just I'm playing down. a very very small violin for you over here. Listen, <laughs> keep going. 
<laughs> right, right. Um, so I had some other words, but I, I don't. I really don't want to get lambasted over the internet for this. And so I'm just to say, I'm I'm in regular seating. I fly regular sometimes. I always buy regular. It's just where you get the free upgrades. Um, but then Jared, Jared's coming down, and I'm like, hey, Jared. He's like, hey, I'm sitting next to you. <laughs> so Jared, she ends up on the plane. And here's the cool part. If he's not wearing the shirt, so if Aiden doesn't make the shirt and marketing, I would give marketing credit, make the shirt, and we don't give away the shirt, and he doesn't listen to Paul and get the shirt, he probably works out, probably sitting next to me on plane. We probably don't ever talk, right? I kind of stay in my silo. I don't, I'm, I, you know, I get turn a movie on. Everyone has their ear earbuds in. We probably never talk. And instead, you know, and I'm, by the way, it's a four-hour flight. I'm getting ready to watch Avatar because my family watched Avatar without me because I was probably traveling for an, for for a conference or something. And so, and of course, they don't want to rewatch a three-hour film, so I'm going to watch it on this plane ride. But then instead, Jared and I get to talk. We talked for like over half the flight, which was so much better than watching Avatar, I'm going to guess. Just being able to connect, talk story. We live a state apart. You know, we got a, a lot of common things, talked about kids, talked about life, talked about three, four. We talked shop for a little bit, talked some three, four to be shop. And I had a blast. So, I, so Jared listens. I want to say, Jared, thank you so much. It made the flight. I, I thought it was a fantastic flight. Love being able to just learn about Jared more. And we, you know, we talk about all kinds of topics. Uh, we even shared podcasts that we're listening to. And I just think, you know, sometimes in life, just making connections with people is just worth so much more than just, you know, getting in your silo, getting in your zone, and just focusing on just watching a movie, you know, which which is entertaining, but doesn't add to your life. If you ask me, I thought adding to your life is getting to know people and adding people to your circle and None of this happens without first the shirt, then the podcast, or the podcast, then the shirt, then then he and I both working out, and all this stuff put together. And I think life is just interesting that way. And I I wanted to share that story because I thought it was fun. Yeah, I just want to say hi to Jared. Great, great story. Like that, but what is that? The butterfly effect, right? You know, it's it yeah, all started yeah. with Aiden's idea of uh, getting these T-shirts to promote the podcast. So, which I are. love, by the way. If, yeah. if you haven't seen the shirt, it's it's actually a nice brand shirt. Fits good, good enough for for it to work out in apparently as well. Yeah, it was a big hit. We'll, we'll be thinking of ways to help folks get connected to a T-shirt in the future. So stay tuned. We'll we'll have some other uh, you know other ideas in in scenarios or uh, games or some some type of uh, interaction that you can have with us in order to get a T-shirt. So stay yeah, tuned. and by the way, so I, and I apologize for only shouting out Jared. There's so many people that stopped by and said they love the podcast. Um, if, even some of our business partners, um, Arcs Benefits, who does a lot of things in the space, different things in 340B, the Sarahs, I'll call them. There's two Sarahs uh, over at Arcs Benefits that listen and just want to thank them. I, I actually had uh, got to have breakfast with them one morning and we just talked 340B shop as well. And they're telling me about the podcast and we're going to try and have one of the Sarahs on. She actually um, has some content to share. So we're going to get her on at some point as well. But just thank everyone for stopping by. It made it so much more fun and um, and appreciate you guys. And hopefully we get to see more of you in future conferences. Yeah, we had a few folks come up and share ideas or topics they'd like to hear us banter about, Rob. And just remind folks, we do have an email out there. So if you email us at 340bunscripted at spendmen.com, you just drop a, a little note into an email for us and say, hey, look, we want you to talk about this particular issue. Um, we're happy to do that. We we'll really want to make sure we're we're talking about things that are of driving interest in the in the 340b community. So don't be afraid to, to reach out and say, hey, what's your take on this issue? So. Yeah, and a few hot topics coming up. And I know for right now, what we want to do is, uh, you know, we attended quite a few of the sessions, had good discussions with people. And and for those that weren't able to make it or weren't able to make it to all the sessions, um, you know, there's lots of content that goes on simultaneously. 
Uh, we kind of want to share what we can. We want to highlight and just want to call this out for everybody. Some sessions are closed sessions. And so if you're at the conference, you know that there's like only certain numbers and, and we want to be respectful to 340 Health. So we won't be talking about any content that was in a closed session. If we had discussions outside of that content or if just internal knowledge or, or public knowledge, we'll share that. But if it's something that was a closed session, we want to be respectful to 340 Health and the people who presented in those conference or in those sessions, we won't be sharing that. But quite a few open, a lot of open sessions that 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 are fair game um, and, and discussions we're already having um, kind of on calls or on webinars or, you know, in 340 Report and, and 340 Health newsletter. So definitely want to share some of that updates and information we learned there. Let's start with general thoughts uh, about the conference, Rob. I know you were at the winter conference in San Diego a few months ago. I didn't get a chance to make it. I was supporting HRSA audit that week. But what, I guess, and maybe from last year's summer coalition through winter coalition this year to this past week, what just get, what are your general thoughts just around the you know the volume of activity conversation people at um, at coalition this time? Yeah, and and I'll start off with well, I guess it was kind of close, but you know just looking at the numbers. Like if you look at you know one thing, um, you, you kind of get like a list. You don't always get contact information because people get to decide if they want to be contacted or not. But you still get a list of everyone who's going to be attending, so you get a rough idea of how many people are going. I will say that there was a notably difference in the number of attendees. And and this we knew, right? I think at the Winter Coalition, um, NAC had made an announcement. I think it's public knowledge that, um, you know, and NAC wasn't there. NAC didn't um, come to this conference. NAC um, now has a couple of conferences they do with uh, the RWCs. They have two, they do it there. I think one was in May, one's coming up in October. And there is 340B content and a 340B event, you know, specific content for those meetings, more geared towards Ryan White's and, and community health centers. Um, and so we did, I, it was, an, I could feel the difference not having all of our, um, CHC colleagues, uh, but, but we did have some, I'm quite a few, um, community health centers were present, which, which I was really grateful for. Cause I don't think the conference is the same without our community health center partners or FQHCs. So I'm glad we still had quite a few show up, but I, you could tell there's a lot less. And I think it's because with RWC and NAC doing their combined those two conferences, and then NAC also has one coming up in August. Um, and then there's, I think, one another called VOMIT, which is another community health center type conference. That's four conferences, and that's tough for covered entities with limited travel budgets. And they, you know, and of course, when people go for conferences, that takes someone's got to do their job where they're gone, or that that has to be done. So the cost yeah. for travel, right? All these things, you can only do so many conferences a year. I remember when I was practicing at, at a hospital. Right. We had a limited budget. I had to budget ahead of time and I could pretty much go to two conferences. I went to a 340B conference and I went to ASHP um, yeah. uh, mid-year. And then if I went to ASHP this summer is because I was getting paid for that by my state organization because I was on the chair. I was a chair or uh, on, on the committee or whatever it is. And so you're really limited. And I think that's probably part of the issue is I don't, it's not that I don't think FQHCs don't want to come to coalition. It's just they yeah, got to be more selective right now. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and with that many more conferences, I mean, it's four, I didn't know there were four NAC specific conferences. And I think that means less people will be able to make it a coalition from a budget standpoint. So, well, we felt that um, it just felt a little like normally the, um, I, will you tell me, Greg, what your thoughts are? I just felt like the, the exhibitor section is normally just a lot busier, a lot more uh, mm -hmm. movement. It just felt like it was a little quieter this time. Yeah, it's a little, little, little more quiet this time. A little less kind of hustle and bustle. I feel like last year at the summer coalition, the the exhibitor booth area was just just packed with people. Lots of, um, it was you could just you could hear like a buzz of conversation throughout the room. And I and maybe it was just where we were positioned, but uh, just seemed to be um, a little bit more refrained this year. And I think the just from talking with people and listening to people talk at some of the sessions, uh, there there's I feel like there's just this overlying 
tension within the 340B community. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to attribute that to all of the challenges that people have been experiencing. So, you know, three plus years of trying to manage healthcare delivery in a pandemic, trying to maximize 340B savings in the face of tightening manufacturer restrictions, just a lot of headwinds in the 340B world right now. And I, I feel like there's just maybe a a little bit of a diminished morale across the 340B provider community at the moment. I don't know if you got that sense as well. I I, I did. I mean, there's a so there you know not a lot of tailwinds, right? The only tailwind which I think we're going to talk about is uh, the Medicare. We finally got kind of an update on how Medicare is going to repay uh, 2018 through 2021. Um, so that's one positive, but it's like a one-time lump sum, and then of course they're going to take it away over the next 16 years. So at least in chunks across the board. Still positive for for the covered entities affected, but um, but you know over time it, it ends up kind of, it's budget neutrality and we'll cover that so I don't want to jump the gun too much. But I think you're right. I think it's all the headwinds, right? I mean, even from a contracting perspective, you know, for budgets when you budgeted X amount for 340B in your budget to help cover costs for everything you do, part of it starts impacting your travel budgets. I I would guess that if I was at a hospital level and I had a you know decent amount of contract pharmacies, 340B savings that was helping offset costs to run the program charity care and everything else we were doing, all of a sudden some that goes away, well, some of those services you want to still keep in place, but that means you've got to cut somewhere. Sometimes you're cutting staff, sometimes you're cutting travel budget. I, I know some health systems that right now we're not we're not doing travel, yeah. which is a super big bummer because you know it's almost like you're it's short it's it is short sighted, but they have to have those savings. And so you cut where you can, even though it's not significant. And um I agree. I think we're with those headwinds are causing people to kind of pause and decide how much they're going to really spend on the 340B side and keeping people up to date because it's it's sort of having diminishing returns at this point. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I think, you know, some get, you get some here or kind of sense some frustration around is is just, and we'll talk about advocacy efforts and, and legislative developments, but a lot of the, um, you know, the, the focus right now, and we heard this in a few sessions, is that, you know, there is going to be a greater emphasis on transparency in healthcare across the board. So whether that's PBMs, payers, uh, not-for-profit organizations, large hospitals, you know, I think the 340B hospitals are anxious about what is coming in the future in terms of more uh, onerous reporting requirements around the 340B program. And nothing's actually been passed yet, but there, you, you have to believe that that's, that's, uh, that that's a new aspect of, of 340B program oversight that covered entities are going to have to deal with in the near future. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's talk maybe high level. I know we're, we're planning on doing this in a part like in a two-part fashion where maybe we'll come back and, and have some more detailed conversations with some folks that presented at the, the coalition on some really operational issues, but kind of high level, a couple of the uh, topics or the things that are developing in the 340B space that generated a lot of conversation this past week. We'll start first with CMS Part B uh, payment reduction remedies. So right before the coalition, so July 7th, CMS issued their uh, proposed resolution to Part B cuts that were implemented back in 2018 that were overturned by the Supreme Court. Rob, what, what are your thoughts on what CMS has published as the remedy? Gosh, I I, I mean, so other than the budget neutrality piece, um, them, them having to find the money you know, as, over time, I, I think it's good, right? Uh, we were we were hopeful that it was going to be a lump sum payment and not some weird rebuild, uh, like what everyone didn't want was some kind of rebuilding nightmare. Yeah. Um, 
So the fact they're lump summing it, I think is fantastic. And at least, and this is the part, I'd love to get your, make sure you understand the same way I do. I actually talked to a couple of people, so I think it's right. The other thing I thought that they might do, which they didn't, was say, okay, you know, hospital A, you you lost, say, a million dollars. But through the reallocation of the budget neutrality, you've got 250000 back, so we're going to net you 750000 I actually thought they were going to do that. But instead, they didn't, right? They said, no, no, here's what you didn't get paid. We're going to pay that back to you. Um, and, you know, I think what they're saying is uh, it's 1.5 billion was 2022 or whatever it was. And so what's left is like 8.4 billion um, that needs to get paid back. And they're going to just lump some every day. They have a spreadsheet, by the way. Um, if you're not familiar, there is a, a, a link. Um, I guess, uh, is that something we can get in the show notes, Greg? You think that's yeah, okay? Yeah, we can, we'll, we'll drop a copy of the link to CMS's website that outlines the, um, the OPPBS um, policy, uh, proposed policy. And it, it, within that link will also include uh, an addendum. It's addendum triple A that actually lists out the hospitals that are going to be subject to a lump sum repayment that will be facilitated by Max later this year or maybe early 2024. I'm still not clear on what the timeline yep. is for, for the actual repayments to be issued, but um, there's there's actually a published list of covered entities or hospitals that are going to be subject to a to a repayment. Yeah, I, I heard the same thing, um, you know, in one of the sessions I attended that uh, there's a chance it could be paid off because that's a big question. We're getting, well, when is this coming, right? I mean, hospital plan for budgets and when this kind of, uh, this catch-up payment is going to occur. And I heard the exact same thing. They're, I think they're trying to get it up by the end of the year, but it might take longer than that. So it might drift into 2024. But so our guess is, so I guess the, the easy answer would be high probability he'll get paid out in um, late 2023 or possibly into Q1 of 2024 is our guess. There's a high probability by the end of Q20, Q1 2024, those payments should be paid. Yeah, I guess the timeline is, you know, I, I think I saw this uh, through uh, 340B reports reporting on the the update is that, you know, the, the max or the regional uh, max will have 60 days to issue repayment back to their, um, you know, their the, the the covered entities within their their district. So they've got to issue repayment within 60 days of receiving the final rule from uh, from CMS. So. Now, now, so we should go back, though, and talk about the budget neutrality point, right? So remember, CMS does have budget neutrality, which means they can't add dollars. So this, these billions of dollars they have to pay back from, from the underpayments since 2018, they've got a, some way to make that budget neutral. They don't get – I guess they – at least they didn't go ask for dollars just to cover this. And so what I found interesting is the way they're doing it is by um, essentially – for non-drug reimbursement over the next 16 years, yeah. they're going to reduce payments by, Greg, I don't have it in front of me. Is it 2.5%? No, half, half, one, one half percent. So 0.5% oh, payment one, reduction okay. on non-drug items through OPPS um, for the next 16 years. That's right. Sorry. The 2.8% was just how much they're going to increase um, Medicare uh, IPPS payments. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Different percent. I had different percent on my head from one of the sessions. Okay. So, so very small percent of the reimbursement is what you're saying. Yeah, half percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah going carrying through 2039, man, that seems like a long way away. Yeah, 16 years. I was like, wow. Um, so, you know, so, and I, I think listening to some people talking about this, they said, we, we, so we don't know what the full impact of that is, right? It's hard to net out what that's going to look like due to budget neutrality. Um, and maybe we need to confirm that. I thought in one of the um, sessions, it was an open session. I thought um, Jeff uh, Davis, appreciate him from Bassberry and Sims. I thought he said 3.09% reduction. So maybe we'll clarify that. 
Yeah, we might have to go back and, and, and check our notes on that. So. All right, we got two notes, everybody. Stay tuned. If anyone knows the answer for sure, concrete, let us know. Um, but uh, but again, some some small percent of reduction in non-drug services um, for hospitals. That uh, now one thing I want to point out is um, I think someone asked me say, hey, ours is zero. Um, can why why don't we get a lump sum? And even though they're a dish hospital, I did have to remind them. And we just went over this um, in the last podcast. If you were an exempt hospital, in this case, this hospital was a does have so community hospital rural status. Yeah. They were never reduced reimbursement in the first place. And so, right, so some hospitals were exempt from those reduction in payments and yeah. that, that, that so community hospital rule. And remember, it's not what you registered as as a covered entity. So even yeah, it's you, your listing. Yeah, it's your listing on the Medicare cost report. So yes, if you qualify as a, as a sole community hospital with rural geographic classification, you had to, you were required to use the TB modifier for informational purposes, but you could still um, you know register as a dish covered entity if your dish percentage exceeded eleven point seven five percent. So there are a number of hospitals that kind of fall into that category where they you know qualified as a dish covered entity, but they had been receiving you know the standard re reimbursement rate um, with the use of the TB modifier. Yeah. Um, aren't, aren't one thing those parts aren't subject to a lump sum. They're not going to get a lump sum repayment, but they are subject to the budget neutrality uh, required uh, reduced payment on uh, non-drug items, right? That's all yes, hospitals. Yeah. yeah. All the hospitals, for-profits, everybody now. Yeah, every, now the yeah, 340B and non-340B hospitals, yeah. Right. Now, now I, in theory, this is a wash over time, right? Because all these years, these hospitals who didn't get the reduction payment did receive in additional funding through the reallocation of the hospitals that were affected, it's dollars, right? That got reallocated to for-profit hospitals, these yep. exempt hospitals. Um, and so they all actually receive these funds over time and now they're gonna get them reduced. So I like to think it's gonna be a reduction. I do think it's not an apples to apples comparison because they receive that as part of their dish percent payment increase, I believe. And now it's gonna be a reduction in non-drug services. So I guess if you have a, if the, you know, if it comes out that you might, you know, it could be more or less depending on how much non-drug services you bill for, I guess, since they're not they're not taking the money back in the same way they, they gave the money. Yeah. Um, now, but I think this is important, and Jeff pointed this out when I when I listened to his um, federal and state payer development. It was one of the um, open uh, sessions. He did remind us this isn't final. It's it's they need to ha they posted what their plan is. Yeah. It does need to. It's going to have a sixty day comment period, and then they have to issue a final rule. So that's why people are like, well, why are they waiting to the end of the year? It's because they haven't finished up the process to actually get this finalized yet. This is just their. This is what they came up with as a recommended process for paying back. I actually doesn't. I from a judging the way other options it could have gone, I actually think it's a pretty good op version. I'm not sure how to improve that <laughs> other than get budget and not take the money away from hospitals, which I think yeah. everyone prefers. But if they have to do budget neutrality, I mean, I can't think of a better option to be perfectly honest. Right. Good point. Yeah. I mean, it's still in proposed uh, proposed form and open for, for comments for 60 days after the July 7th um, issuing date. Right. And the timeline he gave, which which almost tells me does that mean it's going to get paid in 2024? So, so they're going to have to open up the 60 day comment period. Once that's done, they have to respond to the comments, publish the final rule, yeah. and then they have to do rulemaking. And I think they intend to publish rulemaking on this in 2024. So I was like, uh, then how do they pay out in 2023 if the rulemaking is not done? But maybe there's more to it than that. And we might need um, smarter people around this. I mean, hey, Jeff, if you're listening, maybe we should have you on the podcast and you can explain this um, in better detail for everybody. 
I went to, I have to say, uh, Jeff Davis, he did a great job kind of summarizing this whole saga of uh, the Part B reimbursement uh, issues going back to 2018. I sat in, it was probably three different sessions where he he was talking a little bit about this. And they were talking off the cuff on the, the, the remedy piece because that had all just been published. I mean, that was published last week and everybody had their right. slides in prior to uh, the issuing of that proposed rule. So shout out to Jeff for, for doing a great job of kind of, kind of summarizing this in a concise manner because it, it is confusing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's lots of moving parts. So we want to share as much as we can, kind of just kind of talk about what we've been talking about. We've talked to people about it, tenant session. So that's what we know. Um, definitely sounds like, you know, we got to confirm the percentage. I, I got that 3.09 from Jeff, but um, but I could have wrote it down wrong, right? We're all taking notes while, while trying to listen um, and keep updated there. So we'll get some clarifications. And heck, I, I wonder if we reach out and see if you're willing to come on. Yeah, yeah, and definitely in the show notes, we'll drop a link to the the CMS website so you can see the proposed role, and then you can find the addendum that lists covered entities that are going to be receiving the. Yeah, good to share with your CFO and say, hey, not locked in yet, but if if it if it yeah. happens, this is this is what we're looking at, and that, that might work out well. And and good. by the way, if you show that to your CFO, simultaneously ask for budget for three forty B coalition uh, winter conference. Yeah, another area of. I think lots of debate and discussion. Um, I don't think anything new, uh, but just kind of a summary of what we have been talking about and what others have been speculating about is the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act on 340B covered entities. Did you happen to catch any of the sessions where they outlined some of the uh, the projections for 340B community with this? I have. I have. I'm trying to see if I, I you know, what kind of notes. I mean, the biggest thing, you know, for me is more the the IRA and what we've got to figure out for how we're going to how we're going to get uh, the information on 340B to Medicare yeah. and what what is going to be the impact to covered entities um, I didn't get into you know the drugs and the financial impact side but definitely yeah. you know thinking about the fact that uh, CMS is trying to figure out is it going to be a clearinghouse kind of um, model where we upload data retrospectively or are they really going to push for some kind of modifier process and that gets difficulty, but yeah, let me turn this one back on you. Um, kind of what sounds like you might have had some pretty good information, and yeah, so we talked. To, uh, there was some discussion around kind of the operational implications of the IRA. So you know, we've got inflation rebate penalties that manufacturers are going to be subject to as a result of the IRA and uh, 340B claims need to be excluded from the rebate uh, calculation. So CMS at the end of the year last year published Part B guidelines. So requiring the use of TB and JG modifiers for select uh, for, for all 340B covered entities. Um, so those, those modifiers aren't going to trigger uh, payment reduction, but all separately billed drugs to Medicare Part B are going to have to uh, include either a TB or a JG modifier. That requirement goes into effect uh, January 1 of 2024. So I think we've talked about that a lot, but what has not been confirmed yet and CMS is still trying to gather from the pharmacy community is what's the right mechanism for identifying 340B claims in the retail space. So Part D claims are gonna need to be excluded starting in January 26. So they need to come up with an option uh, or you know a process for identifying those whether that's going to be, you know, an NCPDP uh, claim level modifier like an SEC 20 that we've seen some Medicaid uh, agencies require or a retrospective N1 transaction or some type of retrospective uh, data submission process through uh, a neutral uh, data clearinghouse. So those are kind of the three options that have been uh, tossed around a little bit in discussion, but really don't have a sense of where CMS is leaning right now. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and everyone's hoping not for an additional account um, because it's not only an additional account. It's an additional account with limitations on how much you can buy. It's almost like it's got to be tied to like a TPA, almost accumulation process. Yeah. But they're uploading, okay, you can buy three of these or four of these. And I think that's going to be a nightmare to manage. So we're all hoping for yeah, I mean, some yeah, kind that, of That's model. a good point, Rob. Yeah, the actual purchase order process. So once the manufacturer or the uh, the Medicaid, the maximum fair price uh, is available, you know, in the next, I think which that starts in 2026, you know, the, the mechanism for accessing MFP versus 340B, is it going to be a point of sale uh, discount? I think right now CMS is proposing to manufacturers that are going to be subject to MFP, that they would have the option to provide the MFP pricing either through a point of sale discount, kind of like what we see with 340B today, or a retrospective rebate um, process. But yeah, if, if you're talking an upfront point of sale discount, then 340B covered entities, particularly those dish hospitals or hospitals that are subject to GPO prohibition, you could potentially be looking at a quadruple split where you have inventory that's purchased off of your WAC, your GPO, your 340B account, and for your Medicare beneficiaries, the MFP or the, the Medicare account. So a potentially yeah. fourth account makes it really difficult to manage the, the purchase process. Yeah, and I apologize. I, I did jump quickly from just the inflation reduction requirements for why they need the modifiers to the MFP yeah. part. But but yeah. but that's you know, just and we just and we we have talked about that that the um the IRA component about the inflation um rebates should have started actually back in April of this year, so a few months ago. But without them having the three forty B um information, they were they put pushed it to January first of twenty fourteen. So that is the immediate use. But that MFP one, there were some good discussions on. Um, I'll say it was Maureen um, shared some information I actually hadn't thought about. And it was that um, she said, you know, in the first two quarters, and I actually think it could go past the first two quarters, but maybe it's the, the, re, the repricing within fix, that MFP could be lower than 340B. Yeah. And so there's even more to that, right? So if you think about um, a rebate model or, or something like that, or even an MFP model, we almost have a situation that says, okay, in this case, MFP is better than 340B, so we don't want to process it as 340B or prevent the rebate process from occurring. We want it to go MFP. So it's going to get a more complicated. And I was thinking, well, how does that work? So I went back and looked at the different, um, you know, how does MFP work versus um, 340B pricing work? And, and how would that end up being MFP is less? And so to remind everybody, MFP is going to be a discount off um, non-federal AMP. So AMP is used in both calculations, both in 340B and in the IRA MFP pricing. And for drugs and the MFP discounts are, remember, it was it's based on how long they've had their monopoly. So the shortest one is less than 12 years. It's a 25% discount. Um, those between 12 and 15 years get a 35% discount. And if you've had a monopoly on your drug for 16 years or more or greater than 60 years or equal to 16 years, it's a 60% discount. Yeah. So, so drugs with a 60% discount could clearly be well better than um, the 340B ceiling price and, and new drugs. And remember, okay, let's cover 340B ceiling price really quick. I, I know we didn't plan on this, Greg, but I'll, I'll try and do this fast. Three, there's a basic 340B ceiling price for these innovator drugs is just a 23.1% discount from really from AMP, the way the calculation is it's AMP minus URA, but the way the URA works, um, it's, it's, it's similar to that. Now, why, why 340B is often less is because there's also a best price calculation, right? It's either the 23.1% discount or the difference between AMP and the best price. And so if the difference between AMP and best price is bigger than 23.1%, which often it is, that becomes a 340B ceiling price. And then you still have to factor on the inflation penalty for these drugs. And if, if the manufacturers raise their price faster than inflation, then there's this inflation penalty until the inflation catches up if they stop raising their prices. So 
But if a manufacturer, that's what drives the penny pricing in a lot for a lot of products. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But if you're a manufacturer and you're trying to keep 340B minimal, then then you won't have a big delta between best price and amp, and you won't inflate your drug faster and price faster inflation. So then your discount will only be 23.1%. Well, in all cases, MFP 25, 35, and 60% off non-federal amp. There's this amp versus non-federal amp, so that one could be have a slight difference in there since you, they don't account the federal payers in that one. But the discount could be bigger for all drugs if the manufacturer on the 340B side has been strategic enough not to get hit with a bigger best price delta or uh, inflation penalty. They might only have a 23.1% discount, which is less than the MFP price. So just wanted to share that's how 340B potentially could be um, a higher price than MFP um, if a manufacturer has been really strategic about their pricing. Cool. So then, so not only is it okay, because uh, before we thought, well, just do 340B, it's going to be better every time. And then if you don't have 340B, then do NF- MFP. So just to put it out there, it's going to be more complicated than that. You, to really make the program efficient, you're going to actually have to identify when is MFP better than I want to do MFP. If yeah. 340 is better, I want to do 340B. And, and who's going to figure that out if it's a rebate model versus an upfront 340B discount? It's yeah. Um, just so it's going for it to be efficient, it's going to take some effort. Yeah, because I mean, you, there's going to be at least two quarters, you know, that two quarter lag where the MFP is probably going to be better than the 340B price. You know, is this, you know, is there going to be, uh, you know, if we're looking at a, a, an upfront uh, discount, will there be a true up process? So if you were buying the MFP for those first two quarters before the 340B ceiling price is um, posted, and then that ceiling price gets um uh calculated i don't know if there's going to be like a true up process for that um that period of time where you may be buying at the mfp i don't know yeah all i know is one thing maureen because i never even looked at that and when she said it, i was like wait a second um so i thought that was that was i love getting a little pearls like that i was like that can happen and uh looking again that sure can happen so um just something that no here's a good part this doesn't kick into 2026 so we've got a couple years we're two and a half years to really figure that out and and understand how the MFP pricing is even going to work in the first place. And then from there, how do we make this um, so that hospitals save, have the lowest cost savings every time, or at least majority of the time. Um, and so some, something to think about that should be on our to-do list. If you got a whiteboard with all the things we got to do, just put it there on the bottom since we got two and a half years. There's clearly more pressing issues we got to deal with between now and then. Yeah, we will come back and talk about IRA again in September because that's when the first 10 Part D drugs are going to be impacted or selected for price negotiations. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll probably share a little bit of insights or thoughts on what we think that means um, for, for those therapeutic areas after we see that first list of uh, 10 drugs in September. And, so. and then we'll be able to go and compare it to, uh, I forgot, was it was or who was it that uh, presented, maybe it was it any uh, New England Journal of Medicine article that we, we presented on that we shared, we didn't, we didn't do it, someone else did it, we just shared it, that had kind of um, looked at the data and sort of projected what the drugs will be for the first three years. And so we can see how close they were, that'll be fun. Yeah, we can see there's a couple of different um, publications out there where uh, some some folks in, you know, drug pricing space have projected what they think the 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 men, men, the, the drugs are that are going to be subject to those first uh, uh, batch of uh, price negotiations. We can do a little comparison once we see the official list published by the manufacturers in, in CMS later this uh, this summer, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Another hot topic or something that was discussed, I think, a number of times through some of the open sessions was just, again, emphasis on the need for 
advocacy and some discussion around legislative developments. Because again, we're, we're experiencing a lot of obstacles in the 340B space. There's interest in, you know, both chambers of Congress to, you know, understand more about what the, the 340B, what, what types of program reform might be needed for the 340B program. So, um, Robin, any insights or thoughts around some of the chatter around what, what needs to be happening from an advocacy front or what has already been discussed in Congress in terms of proposed legislation? Yeah, I mean, so we did, we've covered a lot of the federal level, right? They definitely hit the same two bills we're watching in t uh, very closely, um, the Bouchon bill around transparency and the Kathy McMorris-Rogers bill. And and there, by the way, there's more um, representatives that have signed on to some of these bills or just, just using single names for, um, for who actually introduced or who's the main sponsors. Um, and, you know, and definitely a lot of chatter about the Bouchon bill being partisan. Um, and the Rogers bill not being, and even trying to get more discussion around what what that MCO Medicaid impact, what is it going to be, and you know how you know what what what's the projections for you know how many plans kind of potentially shift over to AEC models, and um, I I heard different opinions there. I'll be honest. Um, uh, I was in a session where where I actually asked the question, hey, I know for the Rogers bill. I was happy that we did at least give the option that MCO Medicaid payers could pay more than AAC, like voluntarily pay more. And my question was, but but if I'm an MCO Medicaid insurance company and I'm being told, okay, we want you to pay AAC, but you can voluntarily pay pay more if you want to. My thought was, well, who's not gonna take that deal? And um, the response I got and um, was, well, historically, you know, managed Medicaid plans could contract for AAC as part of their contract and they haven't. And so, one thought process is that, well, maybe there won't be a significant change in MCO Medicaid payers. And I sure hope that's true. Like I, yeah. I hope with all my heart that that's true, that none of the MCO Medicaid plans move to an AAC model. But the way it's, the bill's worded and the way it highlights that they should be taking AAC, but they can now, it's almost like before it was, okay, you're going to do UNC, but you could voluntarily try and contract for AAC if you want to. It almost feels like to me now it's, you should do AAC, but you can voluntarily pay more. Yeah. And I just can't help but think, I just feel like the next couple contracts coming out are going to probably have AAC in it, and and only time will tell. And so yeah. I appreciate that response because I never thought about it that way. And so I always get good insight from other people on that. Um, and uh, Maureen shared that with me. So I, I, I appreciate that because I was like, oh, I, I hope. I mean, heck, that gives me some ray of sunshine or light that it's not going to be just brutal AAC, MCO Medicaid all over the place. The second question I asked, which remember we were asking, well, as I read the bill, it doesn't ever say, is this just retail? It feels like it's retail, but does it impact um, uh, provider-administered drugs? So that's clinic or hospital-administered drugs. And uh, Greg actually said, you know what? It's They actually reference a particular, I can't, like either a, a statute or um, some other, some, 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 something out there. And he said that reference is for retail. So we believe it's retail only. I think that was a question that I wanted to get, try and figure mm -hmm. out from previous times. And so at least uh, I think Greg uh, dodged it. I always don't know if I say your name, his name right, but um, uh, but uh, he he did clarify that there is something in there that he, that you have to link to, and it does talk about retail only. So we believe it's retail only, which is great news. That means that it won't impact um, infusion centers, right? Administer drugs. I was really concerned about that. I mean, that's yeah. just another big hit to hospitals if that were to occur. But I think it's um, retail only. So that was another good update. Good. Yeah, and then during the the closing conference, um, kind of grand finale was uh, Representative uh, Doris Matsui's Democrat out of California talking about some uh, bill that she's a bill that she's going to be introducing into um, into Congress uh, called the 340B Patients Act. So uh, contract pharmacy legislation could potentially be on that table. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's specifically for contract pharmacy. I'm, I'm excited to read um, the details on that, um, what her proposals or thoughts are. Yeah. Um, and basically, my understanding is, right, 340B Patients Act. I did take – so I love I, – uh, maybe I'm just a nerd when it comes to acronyms. I love acronyms. Uh, they somehow figured out how to turn patients into a full-blown – or patients is an acronym, but they've got a whole name for that. So yeah. so when it comes out, well, you know, people can go read it, but it's it's – I love it when you can get an actual word out of it. So that was that was pretty awesome for me. I might be still in your brain. I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> no, it was. It was a it was a, a sensibly worded acronym. So sometimes you see these acronyms, I and mean, it's like ah, it's a little bit of a stretch grammatically. Yeah. But uh, they 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 I thought they did a, a really good job, kind of you know coming up with a good title of the bill uh, to get the patient word in there. So yeah, and and so j the basic summary is. Um, she wants to go back to pre-2020 contract pharmacy conditions, so right prior to Lily doing the first restriction, um, and then civil monetary penalties um, as well, uh, tied to getting make sure that gets locked up or gets gets kind of buttoned up. Um, it was a recorded message, and I just want to say again, I always say this, I don't think they're listening, but Doris, if you're listening, thank you so much for your support for 340B. I know there's a lot of, and all you representatives and senators out there, um, that if you happen to listen or if, or if your staffers listen, just to make sure you're getting up-to-date information. We appreciate that. You know, we know it's a complex subject. We know it's uh, there's there's always things on both sides, but uh, when you do have people kind of really looking out for 340 because they understand what it does for patient care, and even there's a lot of manufacturers that get it. It still doesn't mean it's not painful for them to have to pay, um, uh, you know, sell their drugs for these lower costs. A lot of them are very actually helpful in the 340B program as well. And I, I think it takes a community and just love the fact Doris is out there and really fighting for 340B at, a, at the House level. She's on the Energy and Commerce Committee yeah. um, and uh, just appreciate her. So, so if, if word gets back, we just want to say thank you. Awesome. All right. I know we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and, and dive into some of the other topics that some of the our friends have presented. Uh, any other last high-level thoughts or closing? Well, I, you know, I would like to talk about the keynote because the keynotes aren't necessarily always 340B specific. But there's a statistic. It's a little, it's a little sad and humbling statistic. But it shows the impact of, of things that we never saw coming and what it can do. And, and it's more like, and it's, you know, I, I, maybe it's my math brain. I always look at math. I like to see objective outcomes. And there's an objective outcome that really told us what the effect of COVID was to us as a society here in the U.S. Yeah. And, and it was Susan Densler, who's the CEO of American, America's Physician Groups. And I thought she did a great job just sharing these kind of things going on in healthcare. And, and what she shared was, uh, you know, one, one thing to look at about how impactful COVID was to, to our population. It's if you look at the, the Medicare CMS hospital insurance fund. So this is what the inpatient payments get paid on. And when, when they thought that fund would run out, right? They're always, they, they do it for social security, they, you know, based on current rates and, and how much we're putting into the fund to pay these bills and budgets and everything. It was estimated, and, and hopefully I got that right, that, right? This, this side of healthcare, I, these types of, you know, where the funding gets from, I don't know. But that, at least that was my understanding from what uh, Susan Densler um, shared. And she says, it was set to run out in 2029 because yeah. we lost so many of our elderly population and some of our unhealthy population with comorbidities through COVID. That actually has been extended two years. Yeah. Um, and so it almost so COVID in and of itself was because right because everything else from healthcare that's pretty stable that's already built into those numbers and estimates, but that just that acute episode of COVID over that pandemic um, actually extended that fund by two years and we're talking about you know I don't know hundreds of millions of dollars, 
And so that's just an objective criteria about how impactful COVID was to our society and how many people we lost uh, yeah, through COVID that's, that wasn't that's, planned I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Rob, because you and I hadn't talked about that, but I, I had the same note. It was just a shocking statistic that the solvency of, of Medicare was extended by a full two years based on the number of lives that were lost during the pandemic. So, you know, it's kind of a sobering kind of statistic in, in realization of what we've had to deal with the last couple of years. So. Yeah, yeah. And... And, you know, the other thing she shared uh, related to IPPS payments was it's only going up 2.8%, right? That seems lower than um, inflation. So you think about that, that budget and where that's going to go, go from. And, and in face of the work care shortage, the workforce shortage in healthcare, right, where traveling nurses are just, I mean, the cost of labor in healthcare right now, it's just off the charts. And yep. it's a problem, right? It's affecting hospitals and, and clinics, FQHCs, and, and all of our covered entities and, and healthcare providers' ability to provide care when you're having trouble finding workforce. And then when yeah. you find them because of the way the workforce is, you're, you know, traveling nurses, you're paying two and a half times in some cases or three times what you'd pay for a full-time nurse because of the cost for um, contract labor. And it's a big issue. And, and she brought up the part, we're not, she's not seeing a ton of solutions coming out of Congress right now. She said there's some small bills trickling out, but they're not really getting a lot of airtime. Um, not a lot around, me including mental health. She focused, one of the big issues we're having is the burnout in our burnout, healthcare yeah. workforce and mental health. And she made a quote, she says, right now it feels like what, what we're doing as, I guess, society or as Congress is we're admiring the problem, meaning we're looking at it and they're having yeah. these committees and, but they're not actually acting and, and doing something that's going to help it. And to be honest, I'm not even sure what to do to help it, but, uh, you know, definitely something that we as healthcare need to be looking at is how do we resolve our healthcare workforce shortage? Because that's such a key component of cost. We're talking about 340B as a savings mechanism to offset costs, but some of it's just decreasing your costs. And that's one area that we do need to get fixed um, sooner than later for healthcare to continue to do what it's supposed to do, and that's take care of our patients. Yeah, there were a few sessions uh, where they talked about uh, staffing issues, particularly in pharmacy. So pharmacist shortages, which aren't as significant as technician shortages, but, you know, the 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 mental health uh, issues that, you know, kind of surfaced during COVID, the burnout that people have experienced, the fact that, you know, so many other types of organizations have adopted more progressive work environments where maybe you can function in a hybrid or even a, uh, a remote-based capacity that has increased the competition for a lot of uh, technicians to leave the uh, the hospital space and pharmacy leaders really need to be thinking about how to how to address those issues. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, that's why I love coalition. Sometimes you get these topics that we don't normally get in three forty B space, and you know they bring in some good keynote speakers. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate her, and, and they always bring in different kind of healthcare leaders, and and that's what makes it fun. Really having kind of these these, these discussions at conference, and and of course all the meetings we have with our clients and potential clients and and, and vendor partners. And yeah. um, again, even though it was less, right? And and I think on, on a pretty good factor in this, like like you said, palpable, palpable is that the right word? Palpable. Yeah. <laughs> See, I shouldn't use words I actually can't say. <laughs> um, and and and, and uh, Aiden, you don't have to bleep that out. Um, but uh, but you could feel that difference. It, but honestly, it almost made it feel like you could have longer conversations because it wasn't so busy. Actually, part of me kind of enjoyed part of that as well. Yeah, you kind of ping pong back and forth with a lot of different people when there's you know lots of individuals kind of walking around the exhibitor areas or standing outside the the conference rooms. I think it was just the the the, the frequency of interactions I think was lower this year, but you had more time to spend talking with people. So always always get a, a burst of energy after coming home from from coalition from all the education that I get and just the the interpersonal connection that you have with a lot of clients and. And other vendors that we we 
interact with via email or over a Zoom call, but to see them face-to-face -face really, uh, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, and, and if I can do a last shout out, I, since I made a lot of the sessions, I thought Mitali at UMass did a great job on the future of drug supply chain. She did a really nice job there. Um, Shakita uh, Carter, one of our new staff, one of our new auditors, um, she was still presenting on, on behalf of her old um, uh, covered entity, but 340 inventory management. She did that with uh, Mary from Intermountain, my own stomping grounds. She's out of uh, Cedar City, uh, Scott Yardley shop down there. So just love, love seeing people you know, just getting up there presenting, putting themselves out there. Pooja. Uh, from UNC, talking about Central Distribution Center, Zach from Intermountain as well. Um, Jay, Tim, Tim, Tim Evans from MultiCare, he's a board member of the 340B Health, talked about the future of pharmacy practice. I thought that was a really interesting discussion. Yeah, so. I was, was going to see if you were able to make it to some of the, oh, and I can't forget our own Greg Wilson talking Wednesday morning. <laughs> early. That's too early for me. I don't know if I could do that again. I didn't have enough coffee to, to articulate my, my thoughts very well, I think. <laughs> Nothing like a 6.45 a.m. presentation to get you started for the day. For that sure. was a great turnout. Well, I, you know, I had ta been talking with a few of the uh, team members from, from our group, uh, Jennifer and Heidi, who have done uh, breakfast lessons from the field in the past. And you know, I said, oh, there's going to be a lot of people there. And it, it was hard for me to, uh, you know, anticipate people wanting to get up at, at 6.30 in the morning to come down and, and listen to me talk about, uh, I think I talked about location eligibility and 340B compliance stuff, as well as some of the other um, vendors that we're talking. But it was a it was like a full house. It, they gave a nice breakfast and had a lot of people there. So it was it was nice to, to see the engagement from from the, the folks at the conference for that session. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I got to meet up with some people I haven't talked to before. There's a couple other sessions I wasn't able to get to, but I know we had some some other clients presenting. So I, I got I know we have some staff, we kind of divided and conquered depending on, on the presentation. So, um, so yeah, so it's, again, I, I thought it was a decent conference, even though the numbers are lower. Um, and I just want to thank everyone again who made it out to the client event and, and who stopped by the booth and said hi. All right. Well, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, the next time you hear from us, we'll have some more detailed updates on some of the open sessions that we attended, talk with uh, the covered entity representatives and staff from Spendman that uh, went to the conference and get some more um, or additional insight from, from the coalition. It's good catching up with you, Rob. Fantastic. Same with you, Greg. Have a good rest of your weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up more and hopefully get some of these uh recorded some of this our staff or people that presented so we can get get them on to give us a quick summary of what they talked about great thanks again everyone for listening we'll, we'll talk to you the next time take care thank you Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 